The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, I'm Gary Parrish. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. If you're watching on YouTube, please go ahead and smash that like button like you're Brandon Davies. You have consent. If you haven't yet subscribed to the YouTube channel, please knock that out while you're here. Dead leg. Fun weekend of college basketball we just experienced. The game of the weekend. I think lived up to expectations in the sense that it was competitive and fun and beautiful to look at. Final score, Gonzaga 64, Michigan State 63 on the USS Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Wasn't easy for the Zags. They were double-digit favorites who trailed by double digits in the second half. But then Drew Timmy took over, and Gonzaga was able to survive. CBS Sports preseason national player of the year. He took 14 shots, made nine of them. Finished with 22 points, 13 rebounds, 4 assists, 2 blocks. Great performance from a great player. Dead like I know you were at a wedding on Friday night. I recommended yeah. streaming during the vows. <laughs> did you indeed stream while the bride and groom said, I do? I hope so. Did not stream. In fact, uh, wedding started earlier than, than normal. So uh, this whole thing got rolling, uh, you know, mid to late afternoon about 3.30 or so. Uh, when the va- So when the vows were going down, uh, a very fun wedding. Uh, shouts to my, my buddy Nick and his new wife, Lindsay. Uh, we, had a, we had a great time there. But the, the game, once, the, once this game tipped off, uh, we were well into the reception at that point. And, I, and I, so I recorded the game, and I, I actually reserved this kind of behavior for Bears games on the rare occasion where I might be put out and not be able to watch a Bears game live. I will do the classic record it, try and go dark and not be spoiled and then watch it. And I successfully pulled this off, GP. Now, I did get a text message from someone at CBS Sports HQ on the desk side asking if Michigan State were to win, would I be available for CBS Sports HQ hit? And I got this. I saw the text probably about, I don't know, four or five minutes after it was it was sent. And so I only knew, and at that point, I want to say it was about 7.50 Eastern or so. So the only thing I knew when I sat down to finally watch the game uh, on Saturday morning was that Michigan State was at the very least in a competitive game in the second half with Gonzaga. So I figured Gonzaga was not going to run away with this thing. And uh, and it was, it was uh, upon rewatch, it was awesome. Wedding was also a great time. It was only my second wedding since the pandemic and i gotta say i don't know if you've been to one period since then gp but people were all too 
ready to uh, to celebrate. It was an awesome time. <laughs> I've been to one. I've been to one wedding, I think, since pandemic. But I like. I think I've reached the age where everybody I know is married, or, yeah. or or they're not getting married. Like it's over. Like you know, like who who's uh, wedding yeah. am I going to? I've got a few buddies in their early to mid to late thirties, uh, an assembly of them who uh, who are due to get married. Uh, and and hell, actually, I got another one who's already done it once, and he may well do it again. <laughs> two years, to be honest. But at one point. Um, someone came up to us uh, because some of the folks that attended us, like they, they were entered the bride and groom were introduced to the grateful deads. They love each other, which is a great tune. So there was like, definitely like there, you know, it was just a little bit of that uh, granola nuggety jam feel. But at one point someone came up to me and was like, do you, do you realize that, uh, that those guys over there, they're on shrooms right now. And I was oh, like, wow. I didn't, but let's have, I, I did not partake. But it was that kind of a uh, feel-good wedding. And uh, I was bummed I was missing out on such a huge night of college basketball. But I, once I was back home, I watched Gonzaga, Michigan State. I caught up on everything, texted a few coaches, and we're going to get to the entire weekend here. It was – what a watch, GP. I mean, early on, yeah. The story of the first half was Gonzaga being set back by all of its turnovers. And then the story of the second half was the poor shooting that – largely, I guess pun intended, torpedoed Michigan State's chances there. Now, Timmy was a beast, no doubt about it. He took it to the front court there. Gonzaga's now, and credit to ESPN, I saw them bring the stat up during the game, and I jotted it down on my rewatch. Gonzaga's now won 71 straight games against unranked opponents as a ranked team. That is third best in the history of the AP poll, which goes back to 1949. UCLA did it for 87 straight games from 70 to 74, and then Cincinnati pulled it off. From 56 to 61 with 71. So now Gonzaga is now tied for the second best run of uh, of all time. It looked like it looked like the shooting suffered overall because yes, the environment a little bit outdoors. It actually, judging off of what Shulman and Billis were saying on the broadcast, there it looked like it got a little bit chilly. But it was a tight com- tight game, competitive, like really really competitive. I thought pretty watchable, pretty compelling. GP, the teams are trying to find themselves. Afterward, Timmy said when they got the win. He said, this is the kind of game that carries into March. Now, we are, you know, it's the second week of November. We'll see if that winds being the case. He's a, he's a veteran college player. I'm going to take him for his word. But great Gonzaga defense on that final play. Jade Nakins was, you know, he had the ball. He found the ball in his hands, got off, you know, an off-balance three. It landed long. Yeah, it was a little bit foul play. What were your primary takeaways from watching that? And did you hit a point? Because when I was watching again, like I, I watched it delayed, but I didn't know. I, I felt like actually Michigan State was going to find a way to just barely eke this out, just barely. Like I thought they'd somehow get Timmy off late in the second half. It didn't happen. Did you feel like Izzo was going to be able to rally his guys and actually pull this off? Or did you feel once Gonzaga really started going and going back to Timmy again and again and again, did you feel like it was going to go the way it wound up going? Well, uh, when when Michigan State was up 45-33 in the second half, I was like, okay, they're going to win the game. Because keep in mind, like – um, it just felt like the type of game Michigan State could win. Gonzaga comes in heralded, but had lost, uh, you know, an exhibition to Tennessee, and now they're down double digits in the second half to a Tom Izzo coach team, and they're not shooting the ball well because nobody's shooting the ball well, and maybe Gonzaga's just really got some things to figure out. You know, maybe if you watch them play two halves against Tennessee and they're not good, and you watch them play a half plus against Michigan State and they're not good maybe they're not that good right now. And then like, you know, in some people's mind, the best player in the country just became great. Um, 
I don't think it's a stretch to say carried them to that victory. I mean, people say little dumb things all the time, like without Drew Timmy, they wouldn't have won the game. Well, that obviously without Drew Timmy, they wouldn't have won the game. They would have lost by 20 if he wasn't on that. Strother was good. Don't get me wrong. I actually thought Strother showed some real signs of like important growth. But yeah, you're, you're speaking. Yeah, but, what, but it's not just without Drew Timmy. It's it, without Drew Timmy being awesome and taking over the game, yeah. they would not have won the game. You know, they were up. Uh, Michigan State was 45-33 again early in the second half. Gonzaga then goes on an 11-0 run. Cuts it to 45-44. And at that point, I was like, okay, we've got a game. And I do think Gonzaga is going to win it. Uh, keep in mind, I was streaming it courtside at the Veterans Classic. Um, so I didn't have the sound on. But, you know, I, I was to the my best of my ability while monitoring condensation on the court nonstop. Can, can we actually take a really quick detour on <laughs> yes. that? Because I, I, I don't, it wasn't even, I don't know. It's, I, I think I might have seen something on our Slack channel. How wild is that? So GP's at the Veterans Classic CBS Sports Network, obviously, Friday night doing the doubleheader. How wild is this statement is true? There was a game played <laughs> outdoors on an aircraft carrier on Friday night, and it wasn't the game that had a condensation issue that threatened the cancellation of the contest. It yeah. was yours indoors. That's wild, my man. How about, how about this? All connected to the military. Yeah. An aircraft carrier had no condensation problem, but Navy's home court in an arena had a condensation problem. We didn't know. It was very obvious early on that something was up because the ball boys were going out every dead ball and just wipe, 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 wipe it. And I even went to somebody who, you know, is I, I think I referred to them on air as a facility official. And I was like, hey, is there something abnormal about this? Because it seems like the ball boys are out there a lot. And they said, no, no, no. This was in the first half. They said, no, it's just, you know, we, we just want them out there. You know, you got big guys falling on the court. We will just want them wiping it as often as possible. But it became clear at some point that it's more than just big guys sweating on the court. And what appears to be the problem, and I do not know why the air conditioner was not on in the building in the first half, in the first game, but the air conditioner was not on. And it was raining outside all day long in Annapolis rain all day long. And so some combination of the weather outside with the heat inside and the people inside and a brand new court with no air conditioner, um, you had it get very, very slippery. And I will tell you with about three minutes left in the game, the officials wanted to stop it. Um, they, they huddled with Kelvin Sampson and Billy Lang. It was Houston and St. Joseph's. And they recommended stopping the game. The problem with stopping the game, and I reported all this live because I was basically in the huddle. Like, if you go watch it back, I was in the huddle with the – it was the the officials, Calvin, Billy, and me. And um, – and I want you to set a flare screen on this. Next play, GP. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I do – like, I, I, I don't pretend to be Evan Washburn or Allie LaForce or Jamie Ertle or any of the great sideline reporters, Tracy Wolfson. But, like, because I know these guys, usually – I'm a little comfortable getting pretty close to them and they don't snap at me the way they might look at a sideline reporter they don't know. And so I can get in there and and hopefully get information that I can share. And what was interesting, and I reported all this, um, the officials wanted to stop the game. At this point, Houston's up like 20-something points, three minutes to go. Well, Kelvin doesn't want to stop the game because if you stop the game, it's a suspended game. It is not a win. It's just a suspended game. So oh, then you came all yeah. So then you came all the way to Annapolis. You played well. Uh, Jairus Walker was terrific, but all those stats are gone. The wind's gone. It doesn't count. And Billy, I think, could have spoken up and said, yes, this is getting dangerous. 
Because that's what the officials wanted the coaches to do. Now, the officials didn't need the blessing of the coaches to stop the game, but they clearly wanted it before they did it. And Billy could have stood up and said, hey, guys, this is you guys are right. It's too slippery. Let's suspend this game. I'm not putting my kids in any more danger. But I don't think Billy felt – in fact, I know. Billy didn't feel comfortable doing that because he's been taking away a win away from Houston. And that he, he just didn't want to do that. And so what I thought they might do is just put – you know, they're back up, pull all the starters, and let's just dribble out this clock. Shot clock violation, shot clock violation, shot clock violation, shot clock violation, game over. But they played. They just kept playing, and Kelvin was like, listen, nobody's done the splits. It's not great, but it, we haven't had this moment yet. Let's just finish this game. So they played the game out, and it was fine. And then in between games, they turned the AC on, put fans in each corner, and Princeton and Navy were able to play pretty much without issue. So... All's well that ends well, but it was, yeah, it was a wild, you know, I've never been in a sideline reporter on a game that's got clear condensation issues and we're having to stop all the time. And, and yet that is, that is what we were doing, um, you know, at the United States Naval Academy on Friday night, back to Gonzaga, Michigan state. When it got to the point where the Zags cut at the one, I was like, okay, I think they're going to win. And from that point forward, nobody led by more than six, the rest of the way we had a good game. And then Michigan State, of course, had a chance at the buzzer. Jade Nakins, like you mentioned, missed a three in the final seconds, and that was that. But it seems pretty clear at this point. I know it's a small sample size, but shooting on an aircraft carrier outside seems difficult because the two teams combined to shoot seven of 34 from three-point range on Friday night, uh, Michigan State and Gonzaga. That's 20.6%. And I went back and looked this up earlier today. When Michigan State North Carolina played on, the, on an aircraft carrier off the same coast of San Diego – uh, mm-hmm. Back in November 2011, they combined to shoot six of 32 from three. That's 18.8%. So in two aircraft carrier games. Oh, Draymond Green was involved in that game, though. So, <laughs> that's yeah. true. Yeah, but he, he can't take all the blame. So in two aircraft carrier games off the coast of San Diego, um, the four teams have now combined to go 13 of 66 from three. That's 19.7% from beyond the arc. Shooting on a boat, not the simplest thing. That's That's what it looks like to me. Yeah, that's a small sample size. Obviously, we have a small sample size period. This was just as if you listen to the Friday episode, which we know you did. Uh, this is just the sixth game ever. And then I'm going to look this up real quick on the fly, my man, because Syracuse and SDSU did it uh, in what, 20, 2012? What was it? Because when they played, it was also super low scoring. Let's see if I can find this real quick, my man. Um, when they did it, I'm not finding it right now. I'll get it before the end. But they were also, I want to say that game, no one cracked 60 when they won. So I think there's a legitimate case to be made with that and, you know, playing on that, uh, playing in that setting. Although I will say this, I do hope that, you know, ESPN is obviously the one that kind of co-runs this deal. I, I hope they, they try and do this again. It looked awesome. The pageantry was was really, really cool. Obviously, these are unforgettable experiences for everyone involved. Tom Izzo told Andy Katz, our good buddy, that aside from like making Final Fours, being associated with this game previously in 2011 was like the highlight of his coaching career. And so it would certainly be great if they could, you know, find a way to do this again. Maybe for all we know, there are plans to do this again. Granted that this one went off without a hitch. And again, we are three for three in playing these kind of games off the coast of San Diego without issue. It was a 62-49 ending, so I was wrong on that. Q's hit the 60 mark, but in that game, 
I mean, yeah, Syracuse was 0.84 points per possession. San Diego State was 0.66. You know, Syracuse was one of four, one from four from three-point range. You ready for this, GP? San Diego State was one of 18 from three-point range on that on that ship a decade ago. So, yes, if you play on an aircraft carrier, you're not going to shoot like you normally would. That being said, game was compelling. You get a couple of teams that have... At the very, like Michigan State's not a Final Four contender. We don't project them to be that right now. They've got a, just a beast of a non-conference schedule, and we'll get to a little bit of that later in the show. But you get two big-time programs, well-known coaches, couple of you know well-known players. Uh, I see no reason why they shouldn't continue this because it also brings, you know, it was a standal. It wasn't a it wasn't a standalone game in that there was nothing else happening when this game was being played. But it was a major event on a Friday night, and thankfully it wound up being pretty, pretty close. I got a couple quick other well, thoughts. Let me, let me, I wanted your thoughts on that. Do you agree with me? Like, should they try and do this again next year with two different teams? I, I don't... It, given that this one seemed to go off without any issue, I lean toward yes, except I, for all the beauty and pageantry that is accompanied to it, you do get, like, not good basketball because it's outside, you know? I know, but sometimes you don't get good, good basketball when it's inside, too. Not oh, to say that if they yeah. play this exact same game, you know, five miles west at name the indoor arena, that it would have been, like, drastically different or not. But Right. Yeah, yeah. so I, 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 on, on one hand, I go, hey, let's keep playing basketball indoors, probably for a reason. Uh, on the other hand, it does look pretty, and it does mean something. And I'll take it a step further. Um, I, I think anytime you take a college basketball program and immerse it in a military setting on a day like Veterans Day, it is meaningful. Um, like I've now been to the Veterans Classic many times, not every year, but lots of years. And, you know, I, I that's the, you know, I've never been to West Point, but I, I have now been to the United States Naval Academy several times. And I'm just telling you, man, mm -hmm. th those young men and women are so impressive. And, Literally every coach you talk to can't stop talking about the experience. You know, on they play on Friday, they get there like on Wednesday, and then like on Thursday, it's really like a 12 or 13 hour day where the basketball players and the coaches that are visiting are immersed um, into the campus at the United States Naval, Naval Academy. And they're in simulators and, you know, uh, heavy machinery. And they're interacting with midshipmen. And there's a really nice dinner the night before where they might have a Navy SEAL speak. And yeah, like I talked to Calvin Sampson about it on Friday morning, and he was like, I want to come back by myself. Like that that's how mm -hmm. much I love this experience. Kelvin actually said he is trying to schedule, think about this, a home at home with Army. And he wants to start it at Army because oh, yeah. he just wants to take his players to Army. He just wants to take them there. And he was blown away just by the entire experience. And then I had a similar conversation with Mitch Henderson, who's the Princeton coach. And Mitch was like, listen, the day before a game, you would never schedule out 12 hours of just stuff with your basketball team. Like, that's crazy. He said, but when you come to this, it's sort of like part of the deal. So you do it. And he said... I'm, I'm just telling you, like, our guys had a blast. And they almost look at these midshipmen like, oh, well, these are older, more mature, like, serious people. No, they're 19. They're the same age as you. They just – they are – they are they are super impressive people. And so to answer your question, 
I don't know if we need to keep playing outside, but I do like building games for Veterans Day around or in military settings because it exposes people, even like me, who otherwise would never be exposed to this stuff. And man, you walk away with a really nice appreciation from it. Like, I listen, I'm not the guy flying the American flag out in my front yard, you know, but you spend a couple of days on that campus and you have a real appreciation for what's going on there. Yeah, West Point's an amazing spot. I've been there a couple of times, uh, caught uh, some Army games up there. Really, really cool. And on the college football side, it's considered even, you know, it's it's Army, so they're never exactly uh, in contention to make the the CFP or anything like that. But it is regarded by many folks who have been there to be among the very best places to ever spend, you know, an October or November afternoon because the views are incredible and all the pageantry that goes around it. Uh, last thoughts on this game, Michigan State-wise. Matty Sissoko, okay, maybe we got something here. 14 points. He's probably going to be the name to emerge on this team, which isn't to say that Sissoko would be the best player, but he fouled out in a 63 all game with a minute 51 to go after Hauser. Joey Hauser was like a non-factor, just abused by Timmy. And I'll save thoughts on Hauser. Let's see what he does. Champions classic wise. I thought Sissoko's play was big. And then you probably got a little bit of a stat line that I would expect if you're an MSU, MSU fan, uh, for many a, a game going forward, Tyson Walker at 12, AJ Hogarth at 12, Malik Hall had 11, and in, in addition to Sissoko with 14. Yes, you want more from Hauser. You want eventually Jay Nakins to really get all the way back to be uh, more of an impact player. Jackson Kohler is going to take a little bit of, of time there. But all things considered, yeah, it's, you know, Gonzaga didn't hold a lead in this game for more than half of it. They finally got it back. And then, you know, with, with Strother and Timmy just kind of working in, out, in, out, they really had something going there because um, Strother can shoot. He can drive. He can dish. I, I, when I watched him play, I thought he definitely looks better than he looked seven months ago. We'll see if that can continue for MSU. We'll get to the next game later on in the pod. Uh, you wish you would have had it. Izzo is now the only coach in history to be 0-2 on an aircraft carrier, uh, but it's a designation that uh, he will probably be weirdly proud of because he's given his program that opportunity twice. Uh, one last thing, and then we'll move on. Um, just on Michigan State, as you mentioned, you know, up, up next for Michigan State is a game with Kentucky in the Champions Classic. And Tom Izzo really has scheduled incredibly aggressively once again. Like, check out what the Spartans could be dealing with in their next six games. Tuesday against Kentucky and Indianapolis. Then Friday against Villanova at home. Ooh. Thanksgiving against Alabama in Portland. Then either UConn or Oregon in Portland. Then either North Carolina, Villanova, Iowa State, or Portland in Portland. So in the first 21 days of the season, Michigan State could really end up playing number one, North Carolina, number two, Gonzaga, number four, Kentucky, number 16, Villanova, Mm -hmm. number 20, Alabama, and either number 21, Oregon, or soon to be ranked, could very easily be ranked UConn. That that could be and likely will be six of Michigan State's first seven games. And that's why Tom Izzo is a, a scheduling idol to be admired. Or a like psychopath. The, <laughs> or a psychopath. I don't blame him for it. And also, by the way, we are going to get to him. You said Villanova and Oregon. We'll get to them because that might not look as daunting right now as it did 72 hours ago. So Tom Izzo, uh, Naismith Memorial Hall of Famer, he has incredible job security. I get it. That helps. But Tom also understands that the number of wins you get in a college basketball regular season doesn't really matter. It's not number of wins that matter. It's quality of wins. This isn't the NBA where 
if you finish with 56 wins, you're going to be seated better than a team with 55, no matter what. In college basketball, the context of your wins and losses matter. It's all about quality wins and quality losses. So rather than play a bunch of uninteresting games that only matter if you lose them, Tom Izzo routinely challenges his teams in the non-league. I think it's good for Michigan State. I know it's good for the sport. And I wish more coaches at his level would follow that lead when it comes to building non-league schedules because too often we don't get enough great teams challenging themselves, especially great teams from great conferences, challenging themselves a lot in the non-league portion of the schedule. And boy, when you look at Michigan State's likely first seven games, it's filled with high-profile games. So that's Michigan State. We got a surprise upset on Sunday, but we're going to keep it in the state of Michigan. What are we hitting on next, GP? Imani Bates debut at Eastern Michigan was another big headline from the weekend. We're going to spend a few minutes on that next. But first, a word from our partners. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So Amani Bates' debut at Eastern Michigan was another big headline from the weekend. The five-star recruit turned bust at Memphis, took 19 (laughs) shots, made 12 of them, and finished with 30 points, five rebounds, and a uh, 88-83 loss. Uh, to Michigan in Detroit. Eastern Michigan actually led at the half, but ultimately, you know, Hunter Dickinson and the Wolverines took the lead and won. Norlander, we'll have plenty of time this season to talk about Michigan. Let's focus on Imani Bates. Was that just a a crazy good first performance or possibly a a sign of, of what's to come? Oh, I will. We'll focus on Bates, but you don't, you know, Dickinson had 31. We don't want to touch on that at all. You can touch on Hunter Dickinson if you would like. I'm just, he had, listen, he was great. He thirty one. We we talked about. We didn't Here's talk about. This is our. No, this is our. We did not talk about Hunter Dickinson on the Friday show. We went Jet Howard or Amani Bates who's scoring more. Right. Let, let, let me like, say Hello? this about. I, I guess my point is this: Hunter Dickinson was great. Is great. I always assumed that's who he is. I've seen him be great. Um. So I'm not. I'm unsurprised by that. I certainly the biggest headline from Friday from that game on Friday night wasn't that oh wow did you see Hunter Dickinson because like oh yeah we've seen Hunter Dickinson do that type of thing before I the headline certainly the thing that was going viral on Twitter mm. it was Imani Bates looking like the guy that was once I, I I'm not gonna use revisionist history in the moment like mm. if you're gonna put 15 16 year olds on the cover of Sports Illustrated yeah he deserved it if you want to argue you should never do that I'll listen to you. But if we're going to do it, he deserved it. And 
It was one game. We'll see where it goes. But in that one game, he looked like that guy. I mean, come on now. He, 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 now I didn't see Harley. I checked in a little bit afterward, look for a few video clips. He seemed raring to go and ready to go. Uh, 12 and 19 from the field. What? 50% from three on three of six shooting five rebounds. That's, that's great stuff. Um, nice to see. Unfortunately for Amani Bates, exposure, this might, I'm not saying it will, but it might prove to be the high watermark for the entire season, just in terms of exposure, because, you know, Eastern Michigan was picked to finish seventh in the Mac. Now, maybe that's going to wind up being a misfire. And maybe, you know, again, the Mac's got a Toledo team that just beat UAB. That's a big time mid-major win over the weekend, uh, a big time win. So Eastern Michigan almost certainly won't be better than Toledo. And I would be pretty surprised if it was better than Kent State. So I think third at best, maybe it'll be top four, maybe it'll be top five. Uh, it's not going to be competing for an at-large bid. The only other power conference chance for this team, you know, it doesn't come at a great time. It's Friday, December. Uh, it's a Friday night, December 30th, New Year's Eve Eve, against a South Carolina team that's also expected to be uh, you know, at the bottom level in the SEC. So everything else on the schedule is either mid or low major. Now, well, maybe... Go ahead. Well, they are in the Cancun Challenge, and in theory, they could play Auburn. Okay. In theory, they could play Auburn. They're not guaranteed okay. to play Auburn, but they they could they could end up meeting Auburn. I think play it, would Auburn. Have, it would have to be in the championship game, I believe. They'd have to make a run, which is not unthinkable, but you know, they start that one against the likes of Purdue, Fort Wayne, et cetera, et cetera. So I right. appreciate the fact check all the same. So if they get that, I certainly would love to see that because uh, we want to get you know these kind of players against as many good teams as possible. We were basically robbed of this opportunity a season ago when Patrick Baldwin Jr. barely played at all from while he was at Milwaukee before becoming a first-round NBA pick. So uh, everything else is mid or, or, or low major there. But what he did against Michigan, maybe it does portend for a huge season. Like, I think he'll need to average north of 20 a night to garner attention and traction nationally. I think he would have to. And I, he is talented enough to do that uh but maybe and maybe it does happen if nothing else uh, doing it the way he did with his teammates helping them to keep it really competitive and really that game in doubt until the final minute the intrigue quotient has been up significantly with Imani Bates next you know the next game it comes on the road against a halfway decent Bradley team on Tuesday night we'll see if EMU can be competitive steal a win or or not we, we'll wait and see but if nothing else, yes. And and the other subplot to this is that while Imani Bates went back home, literally to where he's from, Ypsilanti, Michigan, to play for the hometown program there, uh, you know, he he and his family were certainly seeking to be recruited by Michigan after he left Memphis, and Michigan said no, thank you. Um, you know, Michigan State as well. Uh, you know, it's it's no shock, no surprise here. I mean, that, Mem you know, Memphis said no, thank you. I think that was a mutual party. I don't think Imani Bates was looking to stick around, but yes. But I, I, I think I, 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 there, there is. Who knows? Let me start by saying who knows. Okay. But I have certainly tell, had people tell me that if Penny at the end of it, yeah, at the end of it. If Penny wanted Imani Bates back, he could have had him back and didn't want him. Interesting. Okay. And, and and because I think initially they were like, we're transferring from Memphis. Hey, everybody, call. And then everybody's like, yeah, we don't want to really want to call. We don't want to deal with this. And if I'm being completely honest, and I'm not here to try to trash anybody's anything. Like I, I'm rooting for Imani Bates. I, 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 if only because the alternative to Imani Bates being awesome 
is a really sad story. And so I would like to see him be awesome. But I, I think the father plays a role in the mm-hmm. lack of willingness to 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 take on Imani Bates. Like I think if you could have told Penny Hardaway, and I want to be clear, I'm not speaking for Penny Hardaway. Penny can talk for himself. But I think if you could have told him, the dad's moving back to Michigan. He's not going to text you or call you. And you can just have Imani Bates coach him as hard as you want and, and go. I think they'd have took it, they'd have taken him back. And I think also Louisville would have probably taken him. And and some other schools might have. But I think coaches probably like coaches didn't want to deal with the whole deal. I don't think coaches were scared of Imani Bates as much as they were scared of just the Imani Bates situation, if that makes sense. And that's how you ended up really not having any high major offers after entering the transfer portal. According to EMU's game notes, uh, since at least 98-99, that, that 30-point outing is the best for an Eastern Michigan player. Could go back even further. It sounds like they're looking through their archives to see the last time uh, you know an Eagle debuted with th- at least 30 um, so good on him. It, yeah, it would be wonder. It would be wonderful for college basketball if Imani. If we look up in the middle of January and Imani Bates is dropping twenty three a night, regardless of the competition, he's thriving there. Would love to see it. But yes, the other subplot to that game was the fact that um, they certainly would have liked to have been courted by Michigan. That really was never a thing. And so he obviously was plenty motivated in addition to it being big brother, little little brother in that kind of situation. He goes off. Michigan gets the win. College basketball gets a good little plot development. Uh, yeah, you know, he in this game again, you know, was 12 and 19 from the field, shot 50% from three. Like it wasn't just, you know, sometimes it's like, hey, so and so scored 30 on 24 shots. It, this wasn't that. He was efficient. He was really good and he was shot making from all over the court. You know, at um, Memphis, he shot 38.6% from the field, 32.9% from three. In 18 games, he was not good against Michigan. It was 63.2% from the field, 50% from three. He did have three turnovers, zero assists. That was also a problem at Memphis. He averaged 2.3 turnovers in just 23.4 minutes per game last season. Um, but, uh, you know, if he's going to give you 30 on 19 shots, you'll deal with you'll deal with a few turnovers. He was really good, and I hope he continues to be really good because that's good for Eastern Michigan. It's good for that league. It's good for college basketball. More than anything, it's good for uh, Amani Bates. Um, I think he's been mishandled. Um, listen, like, listen, being a parent is difficult. I, I have three boys, and I, we've talked about this before. None of them are <laughs> incredible athletes. It doesn't appear, uh, but but like it, it, being being a father. And making good decisions every step of the way can be – it's its hard. I can't imagine how hard it is when your son is literally being called the best 15-year-old in the world at something or the best 16-year-old in the world at something. So I understand – like I'm not criticizing as much as I'm just acknowledging um, that there have been some missteps along the way that I think really put Amani in, in, in you know places where – he was really up against it, or at least put him in situations where they weren't best for his growth, for his development, for any number of things. But I don't doubt for a second. And I only bring this up because it came through in that moment. I'm not trying to highlight a bad moment. But if you go watch arrest, that arrest video, um, you know, he called his mother and he was in tears. And 
I don't know how I would react if my son called me under similar circumstances. I just got pulled over. I'm going to jail. I had drugs and a gun in the car. Now it's just weed. You know, it's not like he was driving around with fentanyl or heroin or whatever. It's just weed. But still, he was going to jail for drugs and a gun. And all you could hear, it was just a one-sided conversation based on what you could hear. But I, I heard love in that conversation. I heard a parent trying to be understanding and a son really disappointed and, and, and upset. And so I don't doubt for a second his parents love him. And they've tried every step in the way to do the right thing. I just feel like every step of the way, they've done some not great things. And I, I, I hope and, – and that is how we've ended up to this point. That's, that's how we got here. But from here, it can be great. And I'd love nothing more than from here to see it be great because you know, I've said this many times. I root for people. You know, I'm not out here ever wishing young people to fail. I think if you're rooting against young people, there's something real wrong with you. That ain't me. And so game one at Eastern Michigan, despite the loss, big success. And, and hopefully every other game this season is, is something similar. All right, we got a, a litany of results that we're going to get to, but three schools in particular took notable losses here. GP, do you want to start with the Ducks? Do you want to start with Villanova? I kind of want to start with Tennessee after that plot development, particularly what Colorado did or didn't do two days before. Well, let me just make sure people know what we're talking about. So, so far, three ranked teams have lost games um, this season. And it's it, it, it started with Villanova losing at Temple, which is obviously not great for the Cal-Neptune era. But it is worth noting, he's without two projected starters uh, in, in uh, Justin Moore and, and uh, um, Cam, Whitmore. Cam Whitmore, the five-star freshman. Justin Moore still recovering from Achilles. Cam Whitmore had thumb surgery in the preseason. So if you're looking for an explanation for how something like this could happen, that's where it's at. Still not great at tip-off. Villanova was a favorite. Then late Friday, Oregon got blasted by UC Irvine. Shouts to the Anteaters. Um, you, know, uh, you know, Oregon, they were down 27 at one point in that game. Excuse Lost, me? They were down 27. They were down 27? Did you not know that? I knew they. I knew they got run. I, I've got sixty nine fifty six here, and I checked the box score. Will Richardson. They Will, were down twenty seven. I Will Richardson with four points. Quincy Gary didn't score, but no, I didn't realize they were down by as many as twenty seven. Yeah. UC Irvine team that should be top three in the Big West, but still twenty seven yeah. for the Ducks at home. Now again, um, Oregon not at full strength. Brennan Rigsby, a transfer from Northwest Florida State, and Jermaine Kusnar, transfer from South Carolina, both out with injuries, but still twenty seven. Then they were. At, at tip off a 16 point favorite favored by 16 down by 27 lose by 13 that's bad and then on sunday afternoon uh tennessee lost a neutral court game in nashville by by double digits to an oregon team that was coming off of a loss colorado uh, to a colorado team my bad that was coming off of a it loss incredible if it was oregon <laughs> that would have been something. They lost by double digits to a Colorado team that was coming off of a loss to to Grambling State. So how how about this? Um, Colorado, 14 and a half point favorite over Gam Grambling State, loses uh 83-74 there. Then 12 point underdog against Tennessee and Nashville win that one 78-66. So I dropped Villanova out of the top 25 and one. I dropped Fair. Oregon out of the top 25 and one there. 
Still figuring out what to do with the Vols, but I think I'm just going to rely on a rule I established a few years ago, which is if a projected really good team loses a bad game, and that's what this was, um, then it's just a 10-spot auto-drop. So I would drop Tennessee from 9 to 19 because if you look at the resume right now, it'll be Tennessee with a loss to Colorado team that lost to Grambling State, you would drop them out based on resume. But if you start doing that, then you end up with like a top five team loses a bad game and you don't have a man. And it's obviously just, it was just a 40 minute game that is not a reflection of the team. It was just a bad night. So I think I'm going to hit Tennessee with the, the, the 10 spot auto drop from nine to 19 okay. and, uh, and leave the Vols in the top 25 and one, but make them pay for yeah a bad loss on a Sunday afternoon. And, Inside a Bridgestone Arena. Okay. Um, I got quickie thoughts on Temple Nova and then a little bit more on Colorado, Tennessee, Oregon. A bad weekend for the Pac-12 and hoops in on the and on the football field because they had teams competing for the college football playoff. What, UCLA and Oregon both got... Uh, but yep. got- Oregon loses a basketball game on Friday that it should not have lost and then a football game on Saturday that uh, would have been wise not to lose. And it would have been wise not to lose. That's a nice way of putting it. But before I get to those... Uh, Unless you have this later, I don't think so. Who hopped in? Who who got the benefit of now being ranked by knocking off? I merely uh, went uh, like I keep a list of about thirty to thirty-five teams, and, okay. and, and and you know, I, I so I published top twenty, I published twenty-six, but I keep a list. And on 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 the opening day of the season, I had one through twenty-six, and then number twenty-seven would have been Michigan State, and number twenty-eight would have been St. Louis. Okay, so I dropped Villanova, Oregon out, and I merely moved Michigan State and St. Louis in. And I know Michigan State, some people are like, how's Michigan State? Um, how does Michigan State move in after a loss? Well, here's the thing. We're going to validate it. Yeah, yeah. I'm going off of the order that I had on the opening day of the season. And if you move two out, Michigan State goes in. So then you ask yourself, okay, what has Michigan State done? Yeah, they won and won. But yeah, but the loss is a one point loss on a neutral car- aircraft carrier. It was a neutral aircraft carrier. It was, yeah. <laughs> Actually, the, the reason why our military is so good is that thing ain't neutral if it doesn't need to be. Yeah. <laughs> it's a neutral aircraft carrier. So they lost a neutral aircraft carrier game to the team I have number one in the country. That's not that's not embarrassing. So now I have Michigan State 25, St. Louis 26. And if I were Tom Fernelli, I'm sorry. If I drop Tennessee uh, completely out, it would be Illinois in at 26. But right now, I'm keeping Tennessee in. So here, here's the good news for Illini fans. Illinois right now is more or less 27 in the top 25 and one. Oh, man. Okay, good to know. Uh, with all that, Michigan State will either validate its inclusion at the Champions Classic on Tuesday or it will lose and it will not even be close at that point. So that's all well, fair. Well, no, here's the thing. Oh, boy. If they lose... A competitive game to a higher ranked team. One and two and above Illinois. You said it, not me. One and two. If if Michigan State go plays a competitive game against Kentucky and loses, why would I drop Michigan State from 25 for losing a neutral court competitive game to a Kentucky team that's top five? Looking forward to you continuing to rank a five and three Michigan State team when we're entering this. I will. One in, Michigan, you ready for this? Michigan State can be one and two on Wednesday morning and still be in the top 25 and one. Do it. I, I will it. do it. I'm telling you right now. That, that is what I will do. Uh, okay. Uh, as for these other results, yes. Temple beats Villanova for the first time in a decade. I obviously didn't see this live. Apparently, it was a double court storm. They stormed the floor, and then there was still... A, like, you get this every so often. Uh, last Owls win came 
in early December of 2012. Uh, Villanova was technically the first ranked team to lose the season. Yeah, they were shorthanded. But we we kind of alluded to this a little bit on our Villanova summer shoot-around episode when noting not just the health issues, but Kyle Neptune taking over and had to open, like big fives to start, like open up against LaSalle. Now they got the win over LaSalle at home, but then they got to go on the road to play at Temple. And I know Kyle Neptune was not thrilled about having being tasked with that. Uh, and then, as you mentioned earlier, there's a, there's a roadie against Michigan State late at the end of this week on Friday night, which Villanova, I'm not saying Villanova can't, can't win. Like, well, hell, Michigan State will lose it and GP's going to bump them top 15. We know how that's going to go. <laughs> but- if they lose to Villanova, they got to go. Uh, believe it when I see it, my friend. Uh, but that's that's a little rough, and it's just one of those things where, okay, we can let's just let's just calm it down. We'll see what Vill- we are going to have a lot to take into consideration with Villanova by the end of this month. I will be in Portland, Oregon, to see them at the PK eighty five. They're going to open up that bracket play against Iowa State, but before that, they've got Michigan State. So, and then the first game of December is at home against Oklahoma. There's a lot to learn about Villanova and they're not even fully healthy yet. So we'll just wait and see. But yes, if you're a Villanova fan, you're like, damn, Jay Wright, we can still see him driving away in his car right now. And we just lost a temple for the first time in a decade. Yeah, it's yeah, tough. It was- it's tough. Like, so, you know, on, um, so Friday night at the Veterans Classic, I'm working with the great Dave Ryan play by play, but also Steve Lapis, color analyst, former Villanova coach. So Lap understands the pressure of that job. Like Lap came after Roland Massimino. And obviously following Jay Wright's just a whole nother level. So like Kyle was always gonna be up against it trying to follow Jay Wright. But it's especially difficult, and I think most Villanova fans understand this. It's especially difficult when you're following Jay Wright and you're starting the season without two projected starters. It's just hard. That's just hard. That's hard for anybody. It is. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Now, we've gone 44 minutes of this podcast before talking about the Vols here. What a weird one. Okay, so first of all, yeah, Colorado. And I'll have a note on the SWAC before we get out of here, too, because the SWAC definitely deserves some love. But Colorado is the only team in the country right now that has a projected quad one win and quad four loss. Grambling State, you know, bottom 30, bottom 40, and Ken Palm entering that game on Friday night. We mentioned on the Friday episode, it's part of the Pac-12 SWAC Legacy Series. This is the first year of it, and then you've got a few Pac-12 teams going on the road playing SWAC programs. I love it. Now, it might end up biting the Pac-12 in the ass, uh, but uh, some things literally should be bigger than basketball. This is one of those things. And so now you've got this weird, funky thing going on with Colorado where they take the loss Friday night, and you think, oh, gosh, they're not going to get out of this weekend with a win. Eh, incorrect. After losing 83-74, and what you have to assume that, you know, Grambling State played a great game. How, like, how seriously did Colorado's players take it, right? You play in an HBCU environment. It's different from what any of those players have played in. And then I kind of wonder if Tennessee's players, after seeing what had happened to Colorado, maybe had a similar mental approach, GP. Like, they see the Buffs get dumped by Grambling State, and then Tennessee, weird stuff, dude. They shot 6 of 26 from 2 on Sunday and 10 of 37 from 3. So it was a bad shooting night, but they were more successful from beyond the arc than inside let, let me, of it. Okay. Let, me, let me add something there. Okay. Uh, Jared Burson, who... Uh, works for ESPN Stats and Info. He's always got these. I, I borrow stuff from him all the time, and so Let like me check I, he no longer works for ESPN Stats and Info. But yes, where is he at now? He he's doing his own thing, but he left that company over the summer. I think he's trying to be a lawyer. But anyway, I just you know, I think he's a pod listener. But yes, he has he does have some good nuggets. Well, that's unfortunate. 
Okay. For my purposes, he's still doing incredible That's right. tweets that have great data. So I still borrow from him. But I always want to mention him because I don't ever want to – You know, it's frustrating when people uh, don't credit you. When you, you, you found this. Dude, ATC Network dropping references to the leaky interview multiple times with no credit. Did they, I saw I you tweet that. I, I never will tweet that. I will never yeah, – no, no, It would happen enough I, where I had to say something. I never bring that up. I'm just like, yo, man, I roll with the punch. Like, I, there's nothing I roll my eyes at more than people like us bitching about stuff like that. I just I don't it even was pay a passing. I wouldn't say it was a bitch. It was a passing comment. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't mean you specifically. I'm literally thinking of other people right now. But <laughs> um, but I never do it. But I I didn't I didn't hear what they were. Doing. Well, you tell me what were they doing? Was they seeing that? It was just they were they were literally mentioning. We don't need to go into this. Like just things that Leaky was revealing on the on the podcast uh, about his his teammates, the music he listens to, just like literally stuff from the interview process that he revealed. It's not a big deal, but like it's the just only, the only, to, like you know. The only part where I felt like they were blatantly ripping us off was mm. when the play-by-play guy was like, and you realize throughout this country there is there is more of us than there are of them. Yeah, yeah. And I was it's, like, that's wild. I cannot believe they didn't credit and you us. Didn't, for and, that. And, and you coward. You didn't even tweet about it. I didn't tweet about. It. I didn't want to pay the plate, please. I didn't, I didn't want to pay attention. Here's what Jared Burson, future lawyer, former ESPN sensitive boy. I guess. I guess that's where we're at. It's hard to keep track of people, you know. He said Tennessee had six two-pointers in this game on Sunday against Colorado, which was their fewest amount of two-pointers in this century. They only shot 23% from two. Got to get better inside the arc, balls. Yeah, I had uh, I had this game on the old iPad. Uh, had some fam over watching. My... I, I, I guess I got to be happy that the Bears are, are doing this poorly because the draft pick is going to be better. But and I'm I'm not going to digress. Uh, in Justin Fields, it feels incredible to have a quarterback like him. I just hope he doesn't get killed because he runs so much. But it is unreal, and what an amazing Sunday it was in the NFL. So anyway, it's, it's, been, it's been it's all downhill since they got rid of my my little homie Anthony Miller. And, and that's not true. And isn't downhill a good thing? <laughs> Wouldn't you rather be going downhill than uphill? I've always wanted like you'd rather be going downhill than walking uphill. Why is that a saying? Yeah, because when I go skiing, I want to go down the hill. Right? Yeah, but you want to tumble down the hill. They're tumbling down the hill. Okay. In the post-Anthony Miller era, they're tumbling. So you'd rather down the hill. endure the grueling hike up the hill than tumble down. Okay, I guess it's just how you're going down the hill. In fairness, you make a good point. I would always rather be going downhill than uphill. Yeah. So why is that a thing? Yeah, it's all uphill why. from here, really. Anyway, I bring that. Yeah, up I think that's a good point. I think that's a good point. I would rather be going downhill. I would rather roll downhill than walk uphill. Questionably, questionably, I've never understood that. So I had the I had the Bears game on the on the big. TV um, and had uh, this game on the iPad. Tennessee did mix some good, like there was a little bit of bad luck in that they missed some good shots. Um, but that's not the whole story. I mean, like the Vols lack, you know, a proven inside score and it looked like Colorado was able to kind of focus on the shooters and they didn't get burned by it. Cause like Zagai Ziegler, who I'm way in on, um, he's, he's, I think he will be a borderline top five point guard by the end of the season. Um, he might be trying to carry a little bit too much of the load to start off here. And he's a, he's a small dude. He's like, what, 5'9", five, 5'10". Five, and so because of that, uh, Colorado was able to to benefit from it. Shouts to KJ Simpson, who came off the bench to go for 23 and 10 for the Buffaloes. Weird weekend for them. You know, they I, I, 
it's possible the Grambling State loss becomes quad three, but in all likelihood, it will be a quad four. And this isn't a team that's projected to make the tournament. We'll see. They're now going to go to, I think, Myrtle Beach for their MTE. I will give a shout to Cooper T. Watson on Twitter. Used to work at ESPN Stats and Info. Mm, I'm going to, I don't know if that's true or not. But okay. <laughs> uh, he pointed this out. Two games, the Vols right now, Santiago Vescovi. He's averaging 10 points a game on 24% shooting overall. Ziegler's at 12 points a game, 30%, 31% from the field, 22% from three. And then Julian Phillips is just at six and a half points a game on 27% shooting and is yet to hit a three-pointer. Those numbers will improve. It's only two games, but Tennessee, and again, like think about like Gonzaga got non-competitive late in that exhibition against Tennessee. Tennessee looks fantastic. And then it got, uh, you know, it just got handled by Colorado. So certainly just that was the most you know, bizarre, unexpected. I, I don't know if that was the most unexpected result of the weekend, but after what Colorado failed to do on Friday, for it to come back and rally, that's uh Tad Boyle's got to be thrilled with that. You want to look ahead a little bit? No, I want to hit on a couple other notable results before we do that. My man, let me roll okay, it got, out here. I've Real got quick. gorilla. I've got gorilla glue all over my hands. <laughs> okay. And I just, now that's I've got problem. it. In my mouth. Hey, you know what? Here's the thing, man. You're living with that for at least another four days of your life. Dude, like, I've got it in my mouth now. I've got uh, gorilla glue in my mouth. See this mic right here? Yeah. It's broken. TSA, I'm not blaming them because I can't, but I like I, when I put it in my suitcase coming home from Annapolis, it was not broken. When I landed, it was broken in half, and uh, I had to glue it back with Gorilla Glue. This is it's this Gorilla Glue together right now. Also, here's another thing TSA does. It drives me crazy. I don't even know who mm. to complain to. Yeah. I travel with pills. As all we right. are literally doing this, I, I'm just letting you know, continue this. As you're talking about your mic issue, your video, you're getting better now. You're getting a little, little glitchy there. I hope we don't lose you. Continue the story. I'd like to not be lost. So I travel with pill bottle, right? Got to take medicine, you know? Got to take, take medicine. So I, I don't carry it in my carry-on because when you're walking through the airport, it's like, just pills bouncing around. You sound like a maniac. So I put them in my... Uh, my check baggage and they always, oh, I don't mind them opening it. Yo, if you want to make sure I'm not traveling with, you know, fit and all, it's fine with me. I got nothing to hide, but put the cap back on the pill bottle. They don't do it. And so I get home. I open my suitcase. I got 70 pills in my suitcase. Put the cap bottle back on. So anyway, they did that. They spill pills everywhere, and I feel I can't prove it, but I feel like they broke my mic. So I gorilla glued it back together, and now I've got gorilla glue all over my hands. And then I was trying to bite it off, and now Uh-oh. I've got gorilla glue on my mouth. Ah, uh, there we go, flesh wound. It's possible my mouth gets stuck together, and you're gonna have to close this podcast yourself. I we might need to do that. And you're still, I'm 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 thinking like you're still there. You're good, but like yeah, you're a little little fuzzy. That buffer rate is uh is a mildly concerning here, but hopefully we get through it real quick. The other speedy whip around. Here we go. Um, power conference programs off to inauspicious starts. Florida State and Vanderbilt now both zero and two. Now Vanderbilt, I didn't even have in my preseason top one hundred. Some thought that they might be due to have an improved year. They're eighty seventh at Ken Palm, but they've lost at home to Memphis. Understandable, but not close. And then lost at home to Southern Miss by 12 points. Southern Miss had not beaten a power conference opponent in a decade. That's a home loss for Vandy. Not good. Not good at all. So that's uh, that's obviously troublesome for Vandy. And by the way, Vanderbilt will play Temple next. 
Shouts to Aaron McKee and the Owls. They, uh, I did rank them in my top 100. I kind of took a chance on them. We'll see if they can uh, show up there. Florida State's in a little bit of trouble here. Now, it's not f- another team that's not full strength. They don't have Boba Miller for half the season. And then Leonard Hamilton said after they lost 68-54 to 54 at UCF. It was a road game, but they weren't competitive. Uh, another big, Naheem McLeod, he has an Achilles issue, and he's going to probably out at, be at least six weeks. So Florida State, a team I thought would be comfortably in the NCAA tournament mix, you know, not top 25 level, but, you know, I was trying to wave if I was going to put like Florida state ahead of Florida at the start of the season, not there at all right now. They're 90th in Ken Palm. Oh, and two losing to Stetson at home on opening night, then lost to UCF. Their next one is Monday against Troy. You would think they can get it together. They've got Florida later this week on Friday, obviously a big one and a big test. So those are uh, teams that had an issue. Carolina won against Charleston. Armando Baycott went off in the second half. And just, I wanted to merely note it that they got a, I know they got a push. I obviously didn't see it live. They won 102.86. Baycott wasn't featured much in the first half from what I gather. He finished with 28 points and six boards, a couple of blocks, three steals there. He came up big. Caleb Love also had 25 points. Uh, but only hit one three-pointer. But, you know, notable UNC, now 2-0. They won't have a game of note until they get to PK-85. Uh, elsewhere, Louisville lost again. It's just going to be that kind of year. Now, we also mentioned this on the most recent pod before this one, that, you know, Wright State, you know, projected to be a pretty good team in the uh, in the horizon. So Kenny Payne, 0-2, will get his next chance against Appalachian State. That's going to come Tuesday night. We'll see if the cards can pick up a win there. I mentioned Toledo beat UAB. Big-time mid-major win. How about a bad mid-major loss? Wyoming took an L at home on Sunday night to Southeast Louisiana. Southeastern Louisiana. 343 in Ken Palm. That's a yikes, buddy. Wyoming is projected to be the second-best team in the Mountain West. A distant second to San Diego State. But boy, oh boy. We'll get to the Aztecs when we look ahead to Tuesday night. Uh, I do want to give a shout to Towson. It's a 3-0 and team with two road wins, and I think will be one of the better mid-major teams in the country. They start off well. But the only 3-0 and team in the country with three road wins is right down the road from me. Just a Baker Dunleavy and Quinnipiac. Baker Dunleavy and his Quinnipiac Bobcats have started 3-0. and And, uh, you know, we'll see if they wind up being a, a force in the MAC or not. The wins haven't been, you know, they beat Rhode Island on the road. And, you, you know, Archie Miller's having some troubles to, to start the season there. They lost at home to Quinnipiac, and then they got knocked over by Texas State on Saturday. But Quinnipiac also beat... Stonehill just got to D1, and then they beat Central Connecticut. Not exactly world beaters, but nonetheless, 3-0 with three road wins. The last thing I want to bring up is the SWAC. So the SWAC right now, factual statement, tied 2-2 as we record this podcast with the Pac-12 in their legacy series. How freaking awesome is that? We need a SWAC Pac-12 challenge. That's basically what's happening right now. That's basically what this <laughs> and is. It's, and it's not, and it, you would think, you would think the Pac-12 would handle that, but it's close. It is close. It reminds, it, also, me, like, it reminds me of that Norm McDonald joke. You, see, you remember Norm McDonald's last appearance on Letterman? Mm-hmm. He said, uh, "He said so, Ger- Ger- so Germany decided it was going to go to war, and <laughs> as its opponent, it picked the world. The world. <laughs> yeah. And you would think that'd be pretty easy for the world, but it was actually close. I know. <laughs> That's a good one. Very good. If you have not YouTube the uh, final uh, Letterman appearance for Norm McDonald, very, very good. Classic. Um, Classic. Very, very classic. So, Swack, shouts to Texas Southern. Johnny Jones, hello. Beat Arizona State. Love Johnny Jones. Bobby Hurley's on the hot seat there. We mentioned Grambling State got the win over Colorado. And then Alcorn State over the weekend got a win against Wichita State. 
so in Wichita State, you know, and that fan base is, I think, you know, they're wobbling a little bit just in terms of like, you know, are we going to be able to sustain ourselves in the context of the American? And can we, you know, cause we had a window here and then Greg Marshall understandably uh, had to cut ties with that university. Um, certainly a tough loss, but yeah, shout out to the SWAC. Really nice. Uh, really nice to see there. How about this? You give schools like that an opportunity and granted Alcorn state went and did it away from home, but uh, playing the PAC 12, you never know what can happen there. And that's uh, that's pretty good stuff. So that's not all, but most of what you need to know from happened over the weekend. And now we gear up for, you know, what should be a pretty uh, a pretty good Tuesday in particular with some high-profile games. Okay, nothing really too interesting on Monday's schedule, but like you said, Tuesday should be great. we got the Champions Classic in Indianapolis. That's Kentucky, Michigan State, then Duke, Kansas. Elsewhere around the country, San Diego State at Stanford, Dayton at UNLV, mm-hmm. Memphis at St. Louis, and then Northwestern at Georgetown in a battle of hot-seat coaches. Your thoughts on what's on tap for Thursday night? <laughs> Tuesday night, rather. So I look in the Google Doc, right? Mm-hmm. And credit to you. We'll re- remind the listeners on the Friday episode. You beat me in the first weekend, three and two against. I'm uh, three and two. Uh, I'm three and two in the final four and one. This, despite having a mouth filled with gorilla glue, right well, now. Well, I mean, that's got nothing to do with it. You made the picks before gorilla glue entered your mouth. That's fair. Fair point. You didn't. You didn't. You, there was not that level of difficulty factored in when you made the picks. Now going forward, maybe we can recalibrate. It's and we'll a different that deal out. now. It's a different deal. I'm living in a new world right you, now. You went three and two, and I went uh, I went two and three. Uh, I looked at this Google Doc though, and, I, and you have Northwestern at Georgetown. That's the sicko factor. Like, yes, a couple of coaches on the hot seat, no doubt about it. Uh, so, <laughs> if that's what you're into, you know what I'm into you as well. So, uh, keep an eye on that. Obviously, the Champions Classic is the two is the two biggest games there. Uh, you'll have Kentucky against Michigan State. The question is, will we see? And we're going to obviously, we'll have a pod ready for you fresh on Wednesday on Wednesday morning to to really get into this kind of stuff. But Kentucky, Michigan State, how does MSU rally? Will Sissoko have another really big game? The biggest question is, Oscar Shibway is listed as day-to-day. Uh, if if we know John Calipari, like, well, you know John Calipari, uh, maybe he really does keep that to the vest until literally, you know, five, 10 minutes before tip or whenever the uh, official starting lineups are entered. And maybe even Shibuya doesn't start. I don't know, but him being on the floor versus him not being on the floor could be a differentiating factor in that game. We'll see. Um, But we wait and see on that. That is the, uh, that's the undercard, if you will. And then Duke will play Kansas as a reminder. I know Kansas fans are all too aware. And if you listen to the podcast, you're aware, but Bill self will not be on the sideline of this game. What? Will not have self uh, available uh, here. Um, both these teams, of course, coming off making the Final Four last season, and Derek Lively returned to action for Duke uh, in its runaway win over the weekend. And we'll see. Uh, we'll see what it can do. Duke has won four of its last five games in the Champions Classic. This the program overall is seven and four. That's the best record of any school in the event since it has started there. Uh, Duke's beaten Jacksonville and USC Upstate. When you go against Kansas, you know it's going to be uh, it's going to be not just a jump. It'll be two or three jumps uh, above that. I'm interested to see what Kyle Filipowski does in that game, along with Mark Mitchell, uh, and then Lively is certainly uh, a guy to keep an eye on there. So yeah, those are the two biggies to be on the lookout for, but. San Diego State at Stanford, you know, SDSU beat BYU over the weekend as expected, but BYU actually covered. Uh, so GP and I both took a loss in that in the final four and one. Wisconsin was able to handle Stanford. And remember, we mentioned that that was the game happening at the Brewers ballpark. That was another, uh, uh, you know, uncommon venue. Wisconsin did well for itself. Stanford did not. So now Stanford has a good opportunity and something, you know, it's another 
urgent situation this early in the season for the Pac-12. We'll see Dayton if it can win at UNLV. No, UNLV is not expected to be a top three team in the Mountain West, but those are the kind of wins, right? If you're Dayton, you're going to be top 20 level. Can you go on the road, get that kind of victory there and continue to build up your bona fides, if you will? I'm intrigued by that as well to Memphis-St. Louis. So we have, so Tuesday night's going to be a pretty loaded slate, all things considered, at least to this point, GP, and we will, we figure to have no shortage of things to recap and interpret when we talk again on Wednesday morning. Yeah, Tuesday should be great. Obviously, the Champions Classic gets most of the attention. You'll be writing about one game. I'll be writing about the other. We'll podcast about it and lead on it, I'm certain. But that Memphis at St. Louis game is also good. I mean, you get Kendrick Davis against Uri Collins. Uri Collins led the nation in assists last season and is currently leading the nation in assists. Do you know how many he's averaging right now? I uh, okay. So let me just uh, two games, so, two games. Uh, What's he? Let me, let me guess. I because I think he had thir- I think he had thirteen in the first one last year. He led the nation. I think at eight point nine a game. Thirteen in the first. I'll say he went ten for the second. So yeah, give me eleven point five assists average through two games for Yuri Collins. Thirteen point five. Yeah. So he had fourteen in the second game. Is that right? Because I think That's, he had thirteen in the first one. That seems to be that seems to be the correct math. Damn. Okay. There we yeah. Go. So and then Javante Perkins um, is coming back from torn ACL suffered an exhibition last October and looks like the guy he was before he suffered the ACL. He's averaging similar points and, you know, shooting great percentages from, from three. So that's a really like off like champions classic. gets all the attention, but that's a good game. Like kind of off the radar to be on CBS sports network right now. I, I mentioned earlier, St. Louis is 26th in the top 25 and one. If Memphis were to win at St. Louis, I think Memphis probably moves Probably you just you just move St. Louis out and you put Memphis in. Yeah, that's pretty much the swap. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So it's it'll be a fun Tuesday night, and then we'll talk about it at some point on the Island College Basketball Podcast. That's true, right? You need to go get that gorilla glue off your body and out of your mouth. It's like literally on my teeth. Oh man! Let me tell that's, you what happened. Uh, I had the uh, little package here. It was it was okay. uh, it, it. like this. I was smoking Gorilla Glue earlier. I was smoking Gorilla Glue. It was um, it was undone, and so I was just it was bothering me. So I said I would I'll just put it back together. And there was some extra Gorilla Glue laying out, and I was like, well, I'll just wipe that off. Oh. Well, you don't wipe it off. You just wipe it right on your hands. That's and then correct. I tried to bite it off my hands, and then it got stuck to my teeth. So now I got a whole situation. Looks like, boy, man, I got fourteen stitches above my eye and Gorilla Glue in my mouth. Eyes coming back, though. I don't even think you needed a hat for this. Well, maybe. uh, Yeah, there we go. It's coming back. You're getting there. Life's hard, man. Life's hard. I got 14 stitches above my mouth. I got 14 (laughs) stitches above my eye and a mouthful of Gorilla Glue. And it's still the first week of the season. I couldn't even get through the first week of the season without 14 stitches in my eye and a mouthful of Gorilla Glue. And yet... Another 65-minute podcast is in the books. Let's go. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Huck. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you guys once again for listening to the I'm College Basketball Podcast. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify over at Apple. Leave a nice review. Five stars. Type some words. There's more of us than there are of them. If you haven't smashed that like button yet, knock it out. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel. We're going to talk to you again real soon. Till then, keep Gorilla Glue out of your mouth, keep your head off the dresser, and just take care. <laughs>